Welcome to the Social Pros Podcast, the content marketing awards winner for best marketing podcast. This is where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by integrated PR software from Cision, by the easy to use farm builder FarmStack, by social audience analysis software Affinio, and by social media engagement software from Sprout Social. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined by my Texas friend. He is the executive strategist at Salesforce. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Adam Brown. Adam, what do you know? Jay, it is great to be here. I am great to see that the summer is finally starting to come to a close. Now we get closer to the fall, beautiful fall weather, wherever you happen to be in the country. I know you're a little bit more up north than I am, and I'm sure you're seeing those temperatures receding faster than me. Yeah, in the morning for sure. I uh, went outside yesterday to get the newspaper, and I was like, "Hey, what what is going on here? This is a uh, this is a mild occurrence." And I actually uh, was so taken aback. I consulted a weather app on my phone, and it told me it was sixty one degrees. And I said, "Hey, that's uh, that's headed in the right direction. I like it." Now, now, Jay, this t- I think this is a question that tells a lot about a person. Which app, which weather app, do you use on your mobile device? Dark skies. Okay. Dark see, skies. Yeah. You're uh, not doing the Weather Channel. You're no, not doing the no, app. No, no, Dark Skies is the way to go because it gives you real-time alerts for any uh, scenario, and it's and it's accurate to within a few meters. So it'll say uh, drizzle starting in three minutes, and three minutes later, you look up out your window, and drizzle has started. It is it is eerie. Uh, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Dark Skies. That's right. That is not a paid endorsement. It is not. There will be paid endorsements in the show. That was not one of them. But you know what else we have on the show today? We have a, an FOA, a friend of Adam. He is the former director of social media at Dell and at Intuit. It is Richard Margetic, who is now a global social media strategist consultant. Brilliant man. Richard, thanks so much for being on the program. Jay and Adam, thank you so much for inviting me. So you have been doing this uh, for a, a while, like like Adam has and, and like I have. I want to ask you a question, uh, a leading question, if you will, and that's uh, how we roll here on the Social Pro Show. Uh, I know there's been a lot of things and a lot of ways to answer this question, but if you sort of look backwards in your career to, to where we are today uh, in terms of social media and, and businesses' use of it, what, what has changed the most? What's the part that you're like, wow, I never saw that come, coming? Yeah, um, the concept that a brand is now a collaboration, Um, the dialogue, the two-way street, the multi-dimensions that social has brought to business has totally changed the way businesses need to operate in order to be successful. Yeah, that that sort of lot, that lack of uh, lack of control that that has been so transformative. That's a really uh, a really good answer. Uh, one of the things that, of course, continues to change uh, in the social business. We talk about it all the time here on Social Pros. 
the 2015 award winner for best marketing podcast, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is Congratulations thank you, that. sir. Thank you. Is uh, is channels and channel proliferation. I know that as uh, part of your work at Dell, that you set up the Google Plus program for Dell with uh, my friend Susan Beebe, who's been on the program in the past as well. Uh, what, what do you make of the current uh, status or lack thereof of our friends at, at Google Plus? <laughs> yes, um, they did not have a very well thought out plan from the beginning. They had some ideas, um, and we were indeed involved in the beta um, for Google Plus, and we had our whole team get together and saying, these are all the things that a business needs in order for us to really take advantage of a new platform. And as you know, Google has tried many different social media platforms, and we were a little concerned. Um, because of between Wave and Orchid and, and the rest of it, and SideWiki and all the rest of the things that they were trying to do, we were under the impression that um, they were going to get it right this time because they were actually actively asking brands um, to help them define uh, what the network is going to be. Between that launch and the realization that they weren't actually listening to what the brands were saying that they needed, um, and then the arc of the development of Google Plus has been just so misdirected, or I should say scattered, um, that it doesn't surprise me too much that it's floundering right now as to what role it actually wants to be in. If you think about Google Plus and its relationship to YouTube and the identity and the lack of anonymity and then separating it from YouTube, um, you can see that whoever's leading it is, is a little unfocused. Yeah, I think it was always unclear what the differentiation uh, strategy would be versus other social network opportunities that were out there. I also uh, I wanted to ring a bell. We need a sound effect, Adam, that we can uh, that we can that we can let off when people say something particularly interesting. And, and I would have done that when Richard uh, summoned uh, the the long deceased but much beloved Side Wiki, uh, which was an, an amazing. I haven't heard Side Wiki dropped on a social pros podcast in quite some time, sir. So you uh, that is a fantastic. That, that is Last reference award. It is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ding. Uh, well, let me ask you this way: Do you think that that Google Plus's fundamental problem was that it's too similar to Facebook or too different? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it. I think it never really defined the value proposition uh, as to um, what was happening there. And they had such an opportunity. Um, not only the fact that that Gmail um, would allow you to create. A use your fundamental social network, right? Email is a social network, whether we use it as such or not. Um, to integrate that with the rest of the Google properties, I think they had a tremendous opportunity. I think there was a lack of focus um, and a lack of understanding of what social actually is, and I think that's endemic to Google as a whole. I don't think that they understand why Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn actually work um, and because of that, they weren't able to bring a true value proposition to their vast array of users. Yeah, I think that's particularly well said. I don't think there's anybody who would who would argue with evidence that Google is a particularly social company, that they really believe it in their bones and in their DNA. As you remember, in this most recent um, charge towards social and let's make Google Plus a big thing, they, they actually were, were putting cash bonuses out there to employees yes. to, to, try and make, to try and make social media a priority. And I think, geez, if you've got to bribe somebody to make social media a priority, maybe it's just not part of your DNA. 
Well, that's a really good point too. the idea of, and this is something that I've seen so often in businesses that they think cash incentives is the way to get um, the social activated within a company, even the employee activation. And the fact is, is that we learned very early on at Dell um, that any type of cash incentive um, taints the reason why people are social. It's like paying someone to be your friend. <laughs> you're not going to get true friendship out of it. And you're not going to get true social behavior when money is exchanged. It's the oldest profession. Uh, there's been a lot of talk lately. Um, it's been some great posts just in the last two or three weeks out there uh, about the future and present really of, of agencies and, and their role in social, their role in content strategy. You, you've been in a number of large enterprise organizations that, uh, of course, had a number of agencies assisting them in different uh, capacities. Where do you come out on that? What is, what is the appropriate role of an agency now when, when the pace of content creation, the pace of social is so high in organizations? I, I find sometimes it's difficult for agencies to, to keep up with, with what can be done internally, but yet sometimes they see the, the forest through the trees in ways that, that, that brands cannot. But I don't want to lead the witness too much. <laughs> no, but you captured two of the elements there that are important, and it goes to show what both an agency should be doing and what a corporation needs to be responsible for. There are things that an agency can bring to a table that a corporation won't have, and that would be elements of of technology, broader insights into what's what's happening in social media, the capabilities, the opportunities that corporations tend to get a little insular. Um, and if they don't have an infusion of new thinking from the outside, um, they tend to be a little bit closed as to what social media actually can do. And agencies that have the experience along those lines um, can help inject that into the company. However, corporations need to be responsible um, and take the responsibility for understanding their client, their business, the content, leading the, the, they really need to direct the agency as to what their business is about, who their client is. And um, Adam and I were talking a little bit about something that agencies can't do and technology can't do like listening platforms. And that is understanding exactly what the impact of social is having on the business because the business has the business data and the agencies might have the social insights, but marrying those two things together is required in order to be successful, integrating social into the business. Wait, we're supposed to be making money at this? Wait a second. I, I was I was told there I was told there'd be no accountability. I don't I don't understand uh, what the Yes, absolutely. Could not could not agree more. That's something that we certainly uh, do with all of our all of our clients uh, convincing and right. I know Adam does with his uh, his folks at Salesforce as well. Like you know, the, the first question is, explain to me why we're doing social at all. Like why are we yes. spending why are we spending even one penny on this? And if you don't have a good answer for that, uh, other than maybe customer support and social care, uh, then then we got to back up the bus a little bit. Yeah, and that's that's I think that is still continues to be. Um, one of the biggest challenges that companies have um, because it, there really is a disconnect and, and we've been seeing this um, for 10 years from our days at Dell um, and, and we focused on trying to solve this because it's fundamental to optimizing your, your um, resources and your investments and that is 
understanding the full impact that social is having across the organization. Usually, uh, companies will look at marketing, and they'll say, okay, social marketing or social care, and those are the two areas to look at. But understanding that there is, first of all, what exactly is being impacted in marketing and care? Is it sentiment? Is it amplification? Is it return on um, ad dollars? Are you getting ad equivalency um, and creating dynamics around there? But seeing how it also can impact um, product development and sales um, and um, brand awareness and the rest of that and doing it in a way that is actually measurable um, is, has been a difficult thing for most corporations to understand um, and to create a correlation between their social uh, investments and the actual business impact across the entire uh, organization rather than individual silo ones and doing that in a way that combines it into realizing what the investment results are. Um, adding to it, we actually created a social media health index that takes all of the social signals. We actually, I shouldn't say all of them. We, we focus on 40 different social signals across paid, owned, and earned, and we align those to a variety of different business metrics, and we were able to see which signal in social was driving which business metric, so we were able to go back into the organization, whether it be the product group or the care group um, or sales, and say, these are the areas that we need to have you focus on if you want to see these levers move. So the closer and closer you can get to the correlation between social activity and matching that data up to business metrics on organization by organization scale, um, the more optimized you're going to be in using social and actually truly becoming a social business. Richard, I love that idea of social signals. I think that's a great term kind of for for what you're saying, and as you said, you're, you're listening to about 40 social signals when you were at Dell, and you mentioned three areas, product, care, and sales. And I know, and I'm gonna assume, like almost all of us, that the social typically now lives in the marketing or the communications part or, of the organization. As you see this idea and this need to show business ROI rather than just marketing or communications ROI in an organization, if you were to put your kind of future fortune-telling hat on, do you think that social will still continue to live in communications and marketing, or is it going to move more to the operations side of the business? Well, if social isn't embedded in operations, social is ultimately going to fail. Because if you can't prove business impact, there will be no investments. This is one of the challenges, obviously, that all companies have. And the answer to that, I think, is still depend upon who the organization is and which group really wants to take responsibility for social. Um, but one of the things that I think we learned early on is that social needs to be embedded throughout the fabric of the company in order for it to truly be effective. And limiting it to just marketing or limiting it to um, communications or even limiting it to its own little silo its own center of excellence, however it reports up, without having the um, infiltration into the rest of the company is going to ultimately, if not failure, it's going to be less than optimal. 
Um, one of the things that we had done at Dell, which I think was ultimately brilliant, and Adam, I'm going to use you <laughs> because I thought that um, that the way that um, <laughs> um, um, the the way that we devised um, SMAC, the social media and community team at Dell, was that we did indeed have a center of excellence, and at, at the beginning, um, we we act, we ended up growing the the center of excellence to 22 people, but we did it with a specific idea in mind that we were training them on the core strategy of social, with the long-term goal of embedding them into different parts of the company. And Adam actually started out in the middle, in the core of SMAC, and then he went to the consumer group. So we actually, uh, if you will, um, groomed him on the way Dell viewed social media, and then he became our number one ally and consumer to do that. We did the same thing uh, across the organization. We did it in product. We did it in services. Um, we did it throughout that. We actually brought them into the center of excellence and then pushed them out into the business. This did two things. One, it made sure that the business had the savviness and the alignment with the center organization to understand what actually needs to be done. And two, it gave us advocates throughout the organization, high-level placed advocates throughout the organization that allowed us to coordinate social in a way that I've never seen since. Richard, Coming from Intuit and coming from Dell, one of the things I like really about Intuit is it's it's a B2B as well as a B2C play. And could you give any tips to people who are listening to the uh, podcast today on how you were able to kind of reach across that proverbial aisle and begin to have interactions and relationships with non-marketing and communications people, people who do sit in those three parts of the organization you mentioned, product, care, and sales, to begin to help them recognize the value of social and how the data points that they may have in their proverbial silo can benefit everyone. Uh, yeah, and that to me is fundamental to be being successful in an organization with social. And we did this at, at Dell too, which of course also has consumer, small business, and, and business um, clients. And that is you have to learn to speak the language of who you're talking to. And what we did, one of the first things that I did when I got to Intuit, Intuit was a great, just a great company to, to go into because they were hungry to go beyond where they were. And, and they were basically a social marketing company at that time, um, really doing kind of old-time marketing um, with a, a social overlay. And they wanted to do social as an endemic, as a, as a core uh, motivator. And the first thing that I did when I, I went there is um, worked on data analysis of social and social impact. So similar to what we did at Dell where we first started by listening to the conversations to understand the conversations and then built that out to understand how those conversations were impacting the business, we did that at Intuit on a organization-by-organization level. So for instance, in product, one of the first things that we did there was we, we built an internal text analytics engine um, to pull all of the conversations that were happening about our product, um, to weight them for sentiment, and to pull the themes out. And then we triangulated them with the other voice of the customer stuff to know how this was enriching the information that they were getting about their product. And we brought it to the product team, and we created a feedback 
so they can see this is what people are saying about your product. This also gave us the ability to give them insights in advance of what they were seeing on their own community platform by creating the earned uh, data um, that would allow us to really fully figure out what customers were thinking about a product. And it gave us the same thing that we had at, at, at Dell, which was a systemic early warning system when new releases were not being uh, received as well as they might be or whether there was a bug or an issue um, or how people were doing with outages. That was the same thing that we did with customer care team. Um, Intuit did not have social care um, capabilities um, 18 months ago. They now are totally invested in social care with the follow of the sun um, uh, mode where we've got people in different parts around the globe. So we have 24-7 coverage um, managing social care. And we were able to do that because we had the ability to show them the data of how social care was impacting NPS for them, how it was impacting, how it was playing the role of a failover and that it was creating significant negative sentiment. And to it, like Adele, NPS is a very important um, number for us to look at. We were able to show negative sentiment being impacted by not listening to the conversations happening in social care. So in, in both of those situations, and then in sales was a slightly different one, but we realized that we had to have the data in order to talk in their language as to what it was that was that how social was impacting the business and by doing that it gave us the cachet for the conversation and they got incredibly excited because this was right in their objectives we were showing them how social impacted their objectives and it created a partnership because we went to them not saying this is what social does and we need you to do this. It was saying social is impacting your business objectives and if you do this, this is what the result will be. So it was completely a language thing. And as you've talked to these constituents, you've mentioned kind of two areas and, and I like to think that you know, if you're if you're going in front of a of a CEO or another senior executive, you know, there are really only two things that matter to him or her, and that is, can you save me money or can you make me money? And you've mentioned uh, kind of examples of both. Social customer care is a is a cost avoidance play. You know, social selling and things like that, attributable sales, certainly are revenue generation. Are you finding? You know, I think we we as the industry kind of began with social customer care because the cost avoidance play was a little bit easier. But are you seeing this idea of social selling and attributable selling getting more adoption? Obviously, a lot of it has to do with the technology and the data. And I know you know that you're very passionate about that. In fact, you have a a couple of patents. We have one patent, and you have one I think you know in uh, in kind of in, in in work in progress around those. Talk talk a little bit about about that. Um. Talk about how, how data is impacting sales. Well, one of the things that's really interesting is, and that is that the the idea that social and sales um, are, are are connected is is actually factual. But the way they're connected, people stumble upon it a lot. If we think back to the early days of, of trying to do social sales, let's go back to the early Dell days. And um, on Twitter, we were one of the first ones to show that uh, Dell was one of the first ones to show 
that you can actually make significant amount of sales on Twitter. Within six months of our launching our um, Dell Outlet Twitter account, we had made $500,000 through that channel. Um, within a year and a half, we had made $6 million through the channel. So we knew that there was a way for you to connect sales and social. However, that was a unique situation. Twitter is a um, time-sensitive scarcity network is what we saw. People were tuned into Twitter and they were tuned into regularly and we had limited supplies of great sales going through Twitter and if you weren't following us on Twitter, you would miss out. So that was a way that we can show that there was a direct correlation between sales and social. However, the vast majority of social doesn't work that way. When people are in social, they are not usually in buying mode. Bob Pearson, who is another colleague from the Dell days, coined the term pre-commerce. And social was an element of what was happening before commerce actually came into mind. And that had to do with awareness and top of the funnel stuff. However, what social can do in across the funnel is different based upon where you are engaging with the person on the funnel. If it's just the broad social element where people are just sharing images and travel and food and family and friends, interjecting a sales pitch is not going to work at all. However, getting them interested at that level gives you the ability to push them a little further down the funnel. And the idea of social is that it plays a different role all the way down the funnel, all the way into the conversion realm. I remember when we first tried to get ratings and reviews live in a commerce site that there was tremendous resistance. But what we found out was that ratings and reviews ultimately helped sales. And the, one of the biggest signals that showed that was if a person was looking at the negative comments about the product. And this was antithetical to the way that we were thinking. The fear was that if we show negative comments about a product, it's going to make people look for other products. But what we actually were seeing is that when they were looking at the negative comments, they were serious about buying it. And it gave the positive comments more truth to it because they knew that we were being transparent. And we were able to show that voice of the customer at the bottom of the funnel was much more likely to result in a conversion when there wasn't force of the customer there. And that goes back to the idea of the transparency necessary for social to be believable. So the idea is that every step of the funnel, social can play a role, but it plays a different role. Even at the top of the funnel stuff, listening for leads, the idea of Listening to earn social about your business and then reaching out works, but it doesn't reach out if you lead with a sales pitch. If you lead with, I'm here to answer any of your questions. I see that you're interested in purchasing this. We've got content here that will give you some insights into it or even point to third-party content that gives them reviews or the rest and creating a dialogue that lead is more likely to convert. So every step along the way, you need to be conscious of where the customer is in their path and align social relationships 
with where they are. Yeah, it's that, it's that indirect uh, utility-based sale that, that really works. This is a, a topic very near and dear uh, to my heart, Richard. My, my new book that I just finished uh, is called Hug Your Haters uh, and did lots and lots of research on this exact same dynamic. And, and you could not be more correct about the impact of negative reviews. It is an overwhelming a phenomenon that that when consumers come across product reviews, service reviews, any kind of reviews, and there aren't any negative reviews, they fundamentally do not believe the veracity of that review platform at all. It, it, it's almost as if you have to have, like you literally have to have negative reviews for reviews to be effective, which I find um, to be remarkable and also find remarkable the fact that 88% of Americans trust online reviews as much as they trust recommendations from somebody they know, despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of those reviews were written by uh, perfect strangers, which I find um, a little bit scary, but but them's the facts. And, you know, you talked about what, what Dell has done with revenue generation and social and this idea of almost, how would I put it, almost accidentally uh, generating revenue, that, that's not really the goal, but it's the outcome, I think is is absolutely the right approach. One of the case studies I have in the new book is from KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, and they have, I think, one of the world's best uh, social care programs. Oh, over 100, over oh, 100 people answering Twitter uh, and Facebook questions 24 hours a day in 14 different languages. If you tweet them in Turkish, they will answer back in 10 minutes in Turkish. Uh, I'm going to learn Turkish just to be able to put them to the test. Uh, but they're doing just, you know, this is not their marketing team. This is their social care team generated $30 million in ticket sales last year, right? And, and, and not on purpose, sort of accidentally. Like, well, we're here answering questions, but if you want to buy a ticket, yeah, here's a link, right? It, you know, that's not, that's not why they're doing it, but it's a happy accident. And, and I think that's, uh, that's exactly the right way to think about it. Adam, do you want to uh, tie that back together? I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, Jay, one of your, your first questions to Richard was, was around Google+. And we, we kind of agreed that if they had not figured out the monetization engine, in fact, they were actually giving bonuses to their, to their employees to, to actually use and adopt and embrace, embrace the technology. And here we are, uh, you know, really talking about, uh, Richard, your, 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 your quote, I actually wrote it down, you know, the, the idea of tran the transparency necessary for social to be believable is so important. You know, I like to call it storytelling. That we need to have a the right balance of of what I call purposeful edutainment. You know, it's got to be entertaining, it's got to be educational, but it's also got to have purpose. If you think about the idea of what social is, and, and this is something that uh, always surprised me from the beginning of this new social era, is that human beings are social animals to begin with, and the the concept really is not new. The motivation of humans is that they want to know somebody, they want to trust somebody, they want to believe in somebody. They want to be part of something bigger, they want to be part of a group. This is all the same stuff. If you go, this, this is another arc that I think is, is uh, telling. If you go before the digital age and you go into the shopping and the commerce area, people usually shop together or they would be going to the corner store and they would know the person behind the counter. It was social. It was social then. When digital came about, social was brought out of the picture. Everything became pristine. It became facts. And there was no conversations because early on, you couldn't have a conversation around a product. Now we're just back to the way it used to be, except it's being done digital. Think about, think about the group of people who go shopping at a mall. They're doing it together in tandem.
They're talking with each other. They get to know each other. They get to know the product. They talk about the product. That kind of shopping is happening today, but it's happening digitally. And, and Jay, I would bring one other thing up, very important, I think, which we still have not nailed around um, ratings and reviews and around listening to other people on the web who you don't know, and that is the idea of identity. One of the things that I know that we've discovered in any type of community is that if you can't find out the background of the person who's talking or give context to that person's comments, it has less impact because you're not as trusting of it than you would be if you knew that, oh, this person, oh, I see that person. He's actually a baker who, who works out of San Luis Obispo who has um, created all these other comments and I can see what he likes and what he doesn't like and create a whole persona around that person that gives context because of the potential for astroturfing which continues to happen think about Yelp and all the challenges that they have in veracity um, it, it's the same kind of challenge but personal identity gives heft to uh, comments and that's why the anonymous thing is difficult. The more that we can bring the context of the person who is saying something to the table in social in our interactions, the more we believe them, but the more personalized corporations can be to that person. Um, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because we haven't really talked about content and how that plays a role um, in social. And identity plays a role there as well. The Content that we review, if we don't know the person behind the content, it has much less of um, uh, truth to it. We have much less confidence in it if we don't know it. If we do know the person, and especially if the person is conversing around the content that's being generated or is there to actually create the dialogue, you get a totally different experience out of it. And social and content go together so well. Um, I was reading about um, an article from Lee Oden, uh, another great um, social media uh, guru, if you will, um, about the challenges that people have around content. They'll create content, they'll optimize it, um, and then it won't go anywhere because they haven't created a community for the content to get involved in. And, and, and my thought has always been that content needs to have legs for it to get up and walk around, which means that a community who is interested in it, but it also needs to have a face, a person behind that content in order for an individual to relate to something beyond the words. And ideally, the content drives conversation. The conversation drives the community. And then the community gives you data which understands how that content is impacting the business and ideally tells you what other content needs to be generated in order to drive new conversations and increase the community. No doubt. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Uh, but, but most people just sort of make something and put it out there and, and sort of check off the checkbox and, uh, and they are done. I'm going to take a second right here to acknowledge the sponsors of this fine award-winning podcast. 
and we'll be back uh, with uh, with Richard Margetic in just a second. Uh, first, as always, the show is brought to you by the good folks at Salesforce, uh, the world leader in interactive marketing software. Uh, we've been talking a lot about social media and social business on today's show, as we typically do. If you haven't had a chance yet to grab Salesforce's Business Leader's Guide to Becoming a Social Business, uh, you should do that because we're going to change out uh, their promotion for the next episode of the show. So this is your last chance. Go to Convince and convert.com slash 20 convince and convert.com slash the number 20 for the business leader's guide to becoming a social business you will learn how to assess your current social team learn how to track missed opportunities position social for real success in your organization and much much more that is the business leader's guide to becoming a social business from salesforce convince and convert.com slash the number 20 also this week a fantastic new book from our friends at Formstack, which i use every single day for uh, creating and testing forms across all of our multiple properties that can Convince to Convert Media. Uh, Formstack has a new content marketing ebook all about how your online form design and placement can make or break your content marketing efforts, which makes a lot of sense. So much of us are, so many of us are trying to generate leads with our content marketing uh, and opt-ins, etc. It is a under discussed point. Uh, you might have great content, but it's going to waste if nobody actually wants to download it or can download it. This new ebook from Formstack show you, shows you how to plan inbound marketing content and then optimize your web forms for success. Grab it now at convinceandconvert.com slash 31. That's convinceandconvert.com slash the number 31. That's from our friends at Formstack. And lastly, this week, uh, our pals at Affinio. I've been doing a, a deep dive on this. In fact, I'm writing a blog post about how we use Affinio uh, today. And I'll just give you a little teaser, although by the time you listen to this, the blog post might be up. But anyway, so obviously, we have sponsors for this show. I just told you some of them. And we've got sponsors for a lot of the other things we do on other podcasts that we run and our blog and our email, etc. One of the ways that we figure out who are companies that might be good sponsors is we use Affinio. So Affinio uses big data to do a super deep dive on your audience, whether it's Twitter followers. Uh, we can also analyze and we have everybody who's ever shared an episode of the Social Pros podcast. And we can look in there and see what brands, what websites, what links, what content, what hashtags are most popular among those uh, groups of people. So I can literally, I'm looking at the report right now because I said I'm just writing the blog post. Um, one of the companies, here's the, the uh, one of the companies that uh, is most popular amongst uh, listeners to Social Pros and people who have uh, tweeted about Social Pros in the past is Cision, uh, one of our sponsors, uh, Sprout Social, one of our sponsors, and Salesforce, one of our sponsors. See, it works. But it also gives me a whole list of other companies that we might want to think about as sponsors. And it gives me a list of everybody else that people who follow us follow on Twitter. So if we need more guests like the fantastic Richard Margetic, we can dig into these Affinio reports and find potential guests for this very program. The kind of stuff that Affinio is doing is a game changer and a mind blower. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun playing around with it. You should as well. Go to convinceandconvert.com slash nine, convinceandconvert.com slash nine. See how Affinio can help you improve your social media you will be surprised at what they can do. Thanks as always to them for their sponsorship. Adam, back to you. Thank you, Jay. You know, one of the things we like to do at this point in the show is ask our origin story of our guest. And Richard, I know you're doing uh, social media consulting and marketing consulting right now. And I think one of the hallmarks of, of a good consultant is someone 
who's kind of worked on many different sides of the fence. They've, they've been on the business side, they've had those level of responsibilities, and they've had experience kind of on the agency or consulting side. Maybe talk a little bit about kind of how you got here today, Richard, and some of the great experiences that you've had over the past couple of decades. Yeah, so my uh, my history has always been interested in digital since digital first came out. I actually left a, uh, a position um, in a interactive media company um, back in the early 90s where I was uh, leading infomercials, both long and short form, in order to pursue the web back in uh, 95 um, and web marketing, getting small businesses up on the web, um, which resulted in me working for Sidewalk, a Microsoft um, uh, operation, uh, uh, coincidentally, oh, yeah. another obscure reference. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we got to um, get the buzzer. Yes, we, the, uh, the buzzer. The idea for the perfect uh, use. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's very obscure. Very few people know that. Actually, coincidentally, I'm wearing a Sidewalk.com T-shirt right now <laughs> from those days. Um, and um, at that time, we were Microsoft was trying to be a city portal. Um, getting small businesses on the web, and my job was to help them get on the web, um, which got me into a broader consulting role with PwC Consulting. Um, and the idea there was, again, going into um, corporations large and small, both focusing on B2B and B2C, helping them understand how to develop websites um, and, and take full advantage of the digital opportunity. Um, PwC Consulting, got bought by IBM, so I ended up being an IBM um, global web consultant, uh, again, doing very similar things, focusing. IBM was more on portals and employee stuff, but it was also, because of that, was focusing on community development um, and helping other companies take advantage of what ended up becoming social. I got hired in a Dell off of there specifically to focus on their enterprise site but immediately got caught up in um, reorganizing, reorganizing the content development for the company and the user experience um, beyond enterprise and the public and into um, corporate communications. This would be in uh, early, late 2005, early 2006, at the same time where there was a blog that came out about Dell um, that created quite a bit of churn in communications, and because of my history in in digital and my understanding of um, the blog nature, um, I was embedded from the very beginning with the communication team that needed to come up with a strategy, um, and from there, everything just snowballed because we were focusing very much on what conversations were impacting the business that um, we started doing more and more things along those lines of investing into the, that area because we saw that it was impacting uh, a wide variety of the business. Um, late, a little later that year, we did a, a wiki pilot uh, that ended up turning into the Dell Tech Center, which is responsible literally touching billions of dollars worth of, of money for, for, for Dell, and that's an owned community element inside of it with an integration with the social. Um, so throughout the Dell, as my period of Dell, as social got more and more important to the company, it became a larger and larger part of my role until it became my role exclusively. Um, and, and that developed into a great 
team of people, some of the, I mean, not only Adam, who was a great um, fundamental colleague in SMAC, we had a, a roster of A-list players in social there. And it was very exciting to be part of that and to push the envelope. Everybody there was pushing the envelope in social and what it could do for the business. And the great thing about it is that the people who were there understood both sides of social. They understood the social nature because they were actually embedded in it and they used it. But they also were business people. So we were blessed with a group of people who uh, knew from the very beginning that social and business need to be developed hand in hand. Then I got, when Dell went private, the uh, the private element kind of churned quite a bit of the, the team there. Um, their focus became a little different. I got the opportunity in Tua to come in there and, and um, leverage my experience and bringing them. And in 18 months at Intuit, they, they went from, we went from being basically the social marketing company. During the 18 months that I was there, we launched, first of all, the data, the data program, the data analytics program, and the, the social care program. But we also launched engagement program across four different elements from ranchers and ravers to advocates and experts. We launched a subject matter expert program. Um, we launched an employee advocacy program. And something, if we have time, I'd really like to talk about um, my views on employee advocacy. Um, we ended up turning into a truly into a social business in 18 months um, by launching nearly a dozen different initiatives um, across the organization including the feedback loop, the text analytics, the patent pending social media health index uh, across the organization. You have you have literally lived the entire sort of uh, life cycle of of social business. Uh, you, you're like a like a human time capsule, Richard, uh, and not not in a bad way, <laughs> not in a bad way, in a good way. Uh, we're going to close out the show asking you the two questions that we ask every guest uh, on Social Pros in the couple minutes we have remaining. The first question for you: Are you ready? First of all, that's not a question. <laughs> that is that is that is the third question. The first question is: Are you ready? The second question, which is actually the first question, is. If you could give our audience one tip on how to become a social pro, what would you tell them? Never view social as an isolated endeavor. One of, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges that I see with people who want to get into social, they view social as an end in itself. And which is great. I mean, if, if you're an individual and you're out in the world and you're social and you want to be social, that's great. But if, you're in a, if you want to be a professional, in social, you need to think about social in an integrated capacity. It's the only way social will ever work. So that would be my one tip advice. Never view social as an isolated endeavor. It is the appetizer, not the entree. I love it. That's right. Uh, and the last question for you, Richard, is if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Well, one of the things that surprises me greatly is the current state of the music industry. Music is such a social thing. And I understand the digital disruption. I understand the distribution uh, costs being zero. But music is such an obvious 
tool today for social that what I would want to do is I would want to talk to somebody who is trying to solve that problem and I feel is, is not doing it. I first thought about Daniel Ek at, at Spotify, but, but they've kind of plateaued in my mind. They don't seem to have any, any great vision. So I, I, the person who I would say is Jimmy Iovine because he's trying to do something he's not doing I, I would like to understand more of the logic of what he's doing I really like the fact that he's pushing the envelope and, and, and that there is some vision there but I would be interested in diving deep into what he sees the current and long-term strategy for music to be that will both help the artists and the fans and whoever the publishing company ends up being in the future. Yeah, I love that answer. And I couldn't agree more about Spotify. They, they seem to be just fine uh, with the level of disruption that they have already caused. Uh, and, and they almost they almost feel like not a challenger brand anymore. They kind of feel like, OK, yeah, we got we got it figured out. Uh, I think they will end up being a uh, intermediary technology that, that uh, whether whether Jimmy and Apple or somebody else is going to come along. But I don't, I don't think uh, the same way the iPad is not is not it. I don't think uh, Spotify is it either, at least not over the long haul. But that being said, I still gladly pay them my ten dollars a month. <laughs> As do I. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Richard Margetic, thank you so much uh, for being on the program and lending your expertise uh, and your experience and your uh, sidewalk T-shirt uh, to the folks at uh, Social Pros. Uh, we have all benefited richly from uh, your understanding of what really works in social media. Adam, thank you, as always, for being a major part of the program and Salesforce as well for their sponsorship. Uh, I'm going on the road for a couple of weeks. I'll be back uh, after that, uh, and we'll have a bunch of new episodes of this year podcast when you're listening to right now, Social Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Affinio, Sprout Social, Formstack, and Cision, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcasts.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast Imaging by Audiobag.com.